right. Welcome. Welcome to episode six of the Peak State Fit Experience podcast. Today, we're discussing swimming as a technique-driven sport with guest Jerry Rodriguez of Tower 26. The um, Peak State Fit Experience podcast, to give you a brief overview, we're recording from Salt Lake City and Jerry's at home in California, but this is the first season of our podcast, and we're following the modules of Nail Your First Ironman, which is a course that I created covering 35 lessons, which is six hours of video content, which is geared towards that beginner Ironman athlete. We cover things like how to select a race, how to select a coach or a training plan, and then we dive into the actual four pillars of Ironman, swim, bike, run, and nutrition. Um, today, we are starting with the four pillars. We've already covered sort of setting the stage with that selection of uh, setting a goal, setting um, some criteria for where your race should be. And so now we're talking about swimming. And swimming is such a technique-driven sport. It's my personal favorite. I grew up as a swimmer. I started swimming competitively at the age of six years old. And I was I grew up in Auburn, Alabama, many of you know, and have a very close connection with Rowdy Gaines and the former Richard Quick. And so um, swimming is in my heart. And today we're talking to Jerry Rodriguez, who is just has swimming in his heart as well. Um, so I want to introduce Jerry, and then we'll get to our questions. Jerry is a professional pool swimming, open water swimming, and triathlon coach in Santa Monica, California. Jerry runs Tower 26 Swimming Program in Pacific Palisades and in Santa Monica, and actually worldwide because we reach people remotely now in all kinds of ways. Jerry's nicknamed the Sultan of Swim. We might have to hear about that. <laughs> and he's been a swimmer from 1969 until present. He is the overall winner of 100 open water races. He is the U.S. and World Masters Champion of Pool and Open Water Swimming in the 28.5-mile swim around the Manhattan Island. Um, probably had to take antibiotics after that one, I imagine. <laughs> and before. <laughs> On a professional note, uh, Jerry, we mentioned, is the founder of Tower 26 for coaching and consulting over 1,000 athletes on a monthly basis. He's the founding member and swim coach of the first triathlon club in Los Angeles in 1983, an expert Ironman University coach. I am also a fellow Ironman coach. U.S. Masters Coach of the Year and former owner of Swim Magazine, publisher of Swim and Swimming World and Swimming Techniques Magazine, and the co-founder of World Open Water Swimming Association. So the list is long and well-deserved. I have been following you and admiring you for so long, um, and we're just ready to, to gain and from your knowledge. So um, did I leave anything out? Is there anything that you'd like to say before we t start with some of our questions? No, that was fantastic. I, I, and I love the intro, too, with the music. I mean, you put our podcast to shame. I'm going to have to talk to Jim about step, <laughs> stepping up our, uh, our music intro. I loved it. Oh, thanks. Yeah, so today I, I remind each of our guests that we are sort of gauging this podcast, this season of our podcast. 
um, to that beginner's mindset. The person who may be thinking about doing their first Ironman. And so I, today I really wanted to center around how swimming is a technique driven sport and the learning curve can be so steep. It is the limiter for most people, unless you know, you're the rare person like me who grew up as a swimmer. But can we start with the value of right away, let's identify where those um, technique problems are, maybe um, how to get started with that? Yeah, well, good to learn, by the way, about your swim background, which I didn't know much about. So if I could ask, so you've been swimming as a kid, right? You said? Yes, I grew up as a breaststroker, um, okay. swam year round from the age of six, although I did not swim in college. And that is the one thing that I, I wish I, I have a, one regret in life. And I wish I had swam in college. I got swept up in college things. Right, but right. Um, Richard Quick was the coach of Auburn University at the time. And so my whole youth swim programming, he, all of his college swimmers and grad students helped with our youth program. And so David Marsh was my head coach for, I, it was War Eagle Swim Club was our club. And David Marsh was my head coach for probably six years um, Rowdy was our adopted swimmer um, of the Hagen family, which was uh, my mom and dad. And so Rowdy used to come over almost every Sunday when he was at Auburn University for spaghetti dinners. Oh, wonderful. Well, distinguished background and, and sort of a, a who's who cast of coaches and, and decorated athletes. So, so you certainly know all the ins and outs of, of competitive swimming. And I think one of the things... Um, I'm going to frame this as positively as I can, but it's it's sort of a negative. Uh, one of the challenges that beginning swimmers have is that they go to, uh, and many swimmers even, they go to YouTube to get their knowledge because that's sort of the how to find out anything, right? It's a good platform. Mm -hmm. And you can find hundreds, if not thousands of videos or knowledge uh, information on what you should be doing to get yourself ready and how to swim. The thing is, a good portion of that information is produced or supplied by maybe swim coaches, uh, a lot of them, that, that don't have any triathlon background. Uh, you have a blend, so you would be the ideal person to, to help uh, beginning triathlon uh, athletes. But many swim coaches or even really good swimmers, and not rowdy per se, but since you brought his name up, but a very elite swimmer would start teaching somebody to make sure you kick a lot, as an example. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a, a big no-no in triathlon swimming. So you have to really identify your source uh, if you can, right. or ask folks like yourself, uh, your podcast listeners, to really refer the right people to follow, to listen and to read, as opposed to, well, such and such swam on the Olympic team, I should listen to her or him. Well, 95% of swim races are four minutes and, and shorter. Uh, yeah. Um, well, I think some, something like that. I mean, it's, you go from the 50 free to the 400 free, they're all under four minutes. And that's the majority mm -hmm. of races on the platform. Uh, and most races are two minutes and shorter. So the demands for the swimmer and how a coach, a swimming coach would coach a swimmer, the protocols, the technique, kicking in particular, and even the types of workouts 
wouldn't be applicable to an Ironman athlete at all because their event is anywhere from if you're the best of the best, high 48 minutes, 47, 46, mm -hmm. if you're really good. And for the sort of the fat part of the bell curve, an hour and 20, an hour and 30 minutes, and then the slower swimmer is two hours, right? So right. you have to know uh, where to go to look for your information is the first place I would start with. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, and something that honestly I wasn't even thinking of would be our first, you know, sort of area of discussion, but that is so true. Um, and I was honestly thinking sort of that direction of swim analysis and, but I love that we're, that you brought that up first because YouTube is so common and people will just search and they'll find whatever the most popular video, um, is. And there are a lot of great swim coaches that have good material, but it's not all gauged for triathletes. Well, yeah, it may not be applicable, and it's no different than, um, you know, I've talked about this a few times in, in some prior discussions. Uh, and the example I use, I don't know anything about uh, Russian literature. So if I went and listened to an expert, anything he or she had to say would be the golden rule for me because I have no filter. There's no background, no information whatsoever. So whatever information I was given or data on the, the history of it would be would seem like uh, God's word, so to speak, right? Uh, because I don't yeah. have a filter. So <laughs> basically every person beginning triathlon that does not have a swim background does not have a filter. So then we have to teach them the first thing is, okay, let's broaden your filter. Let's create one for you or let's get you, you know, uh, connected with somebody who knows the demands of your particular sport. Uh, so that's one. And, um, and you touched on the technical aspect, I think, is what you were asking. Uh, and I sort of sidestepped that question first. To talk no, about. That, that's perfectly fine because we're going we're gonna to come back to all of it. So on, on the technical side, there is this thing, this nuance to swimming that other sports don't have, especially biking and running. If you have not run or ridden your bike, let's take running. It's the most obvious one. If you haven't run for a while and you said, you know what, I'm going to do a triathlon and you put your shoes on and you hop outside and you go for a run in about, and if you haven't run and you're unfit, well, within five minutes, it's not feeling so good, right? And not at all. Little, you throw a little hill in and you start questioning, why have I even decided to have this goal? And you slug through it, you get back home. It, you might, might've been out there for 20 or even 30 minutes. You've walked half of it. You came back home sweaty as heck and then it was challenging. But what you don't do is say, let me go take a running lesson. Which mm -hmm. he usually says, wow, I'm really out of shape. I got to just take this thing slowly and build up my fitness, my stamina. Well, that's the norm. But yeah. in swimming, someone comes to swim for the first time. They do know how to swim. They were taught perhaps as a kid, they could swim a few laps back and forth and they swim a few laps. And then all of a sudden they're out of breath, no different than if they went running. But the first thing they say is, I got to get a swim lesson because I don't know what I'm doing. Well, that's not necessarily true. You can swim. Yeah. And there's a confusion between uh, lacking of fitness or high heart rate from fatigue mm -hmm. that I don't technically uh, do it correctly. You may do it technically correctly to some extent, but you still need a foundation of fitness, a platform. So the whole talk of technique is super important in swimming, obviously, because it's more technical than actually running or riding. But there's a, there's a dance that has to take place between building foundation, some fitness foundation, so you can absorb technical enhancements. 
So that person who went out and swam and they only were able to swim two lengths and then had to stop and huff and puff for a minute and then mm -hmm. swim two lengths and huff and puff for a minute. If they went to take a swim lesson, let's say they came to you or they came to me and we started giving them some technique tips, mm -hmm. they can't really swim enough to absorb those technical tips because the fatigue level is too high. Right. So the first thing you really need to do is get some swimming under your belt. You need to mm -hmm. about a, about 10 sessions in three weeks. And there's sort of a magical thing. Doing any, almost anything 10 times in three weeks for 30 minutes provides yeah. a baseline foundation of reasonable fitness so you can then absorb any technical information or teachings that you may be given from your swim teacher, swim coach. That is great advice because I have... I've worked with a range of swimmers, even um, coached an Ironman athlete to their first Ironman that when we started, they could not swim 25 yards. And I do find that sometimes very true beginners, that the fatigue level is so high with just, you know, one length of the pool that, yeah, the, the base of fitness isn't there to even, yeah, that's, that's so smart. Um, well, we made some assumptions though. We made some assumptions, and that is they can swim. There are some folks who cannot swim well, meaning uh, mm -hmm. they may take one big breath and then hold, keep their head down for eight arm strokes and then turn to breathe again on another big breath. But that person does need a little bit of technical knowledge, such as breathe more often because you don't hold your breath when yeah. you run, you don't hold your breath when you bike, don't hold your breath when you're swimming. So they at least need that cue to start with. But the person who can breathe every two arm strokes and can at least get across the pool with decent luxury should uh, get a little bit of foundation in place before they decide to take a lesson. Right. You know, with, um, you know, we talked a few minutes before we started recording and that about bike fitting here at Peak State Fit, and that's you know, one of our main services. And it's common for somebody, if they're just curious, to call, and I end up talking on the phone and, you know, saying, and they say, well, I don't know if it's if I'm ready for a bike fit because I'm not good enough. I'm not, you know, I haven't gotten fit enough for a bike fit. And, like, no, let's, you know, all the benefits for doing it now. And I feel that same way about um, getting a swim lesson that um, whether it's even just a remote analysis, if you don't have access to somebody being in person, that you, you need eyes on your swim because there are so many different technical nuances um, that it's impossible to know what you're doing without a second set of eyes. Right. So after that platform of, you know, three weeks of, uh, you know, 10 to a dozen sessions are put into place, I think it's super helpful to get yourself engaged with some program uh, that by a coach who is knowledgeable about triathlon swimming, where they have a program for you to follow, perhaps. And mm -hmm. ideally, if it's at the location where you're living, it's even better. So they can see you swim. So you join your local master's team if there's one you join mm -hmm. your local triathlon coach if he or she has a program but that's helpful that's that's the ideal world if if it's available to you if it's not then you have to look outside of that scope and mm -hmm. again to your point tech any sort of technical analysis video analysis is helpful but 
right. the, the technique end of things in swimming can get overly muddy because it, it can be too complicated. I'll give you an example. I remember a few years ago, there was a gentleman who got very involved in triathlon swimming for a while, very distinguished, well-known name. If I told you the name, you would know who he is and a very distinguished swimming background and got involved in triathlon and, and the triathlon media had picked him up quite a bit and was publishing all his material. Uh, and although I would agree with 100% of everything he said, he had a way of taking the swim stroke, what, at least a portion of propulsion that occurs beneath the surface of the water, that generally takes about a second. Uh, and a good swimmer like you would actually be faster than a second. You probably would execute the propulsive phase of your stroke in close to half a second for you. But for most people, it's going to be about a second. Mm -hmm. He broke it into six steps. Well, I don't know how we're going to process six things in a second. Yeah, so it right. comes, we, we can overly complicate things. So again, mm -hmm. distill, especially for beginners, it has to be distilled down to a very simplistic uh, way of to absorb knowledge and then be able to execute it. Right. And again, for sort of this um, beginner to intermediate athlete, the payoff is so great of keeping the the technique high level not having to get down to these six steps of whatever um from an effort level from a cardiovascular standpoint of being able to enjoy their time in the water more and also um you know the, have a quality workout without just feeling completely exhausted from a cardiovascular standpoint well that's correct the thing is the from my experience what i've seen over the years and it's Gosh, Heather, it's 40 years of doing this now, right? Um, most folks that get involved in triathlon, and when I say most, let's define that, probably close to 75%, three quarters of folks get involved in triathlon without any sort of swim background. They will typically go to their local pool and lap swim on a morning before work or lap swim at lunchtime. Mm -hmm. And they hop in and especially most triathletes, as you know, pretty driven, A-type personality, could be a little aggro at times. And you get in and the first thing they do is press that watch on their hand and they push off the wall and swim for 30 minutes or 40, whatever amount of time that they have, whatever they've built up to. And then each time, well, the last time I swam my 30 minute lunch break and I did, um, you know, 1200 meters, 1200 mm -hmm. yards. Well, on Thursday, I'm gonna, next week Thursday, I'm gonna try and go 1225 yards. And this becomes the training platform for them. Yeah. For this, uh, uninformed beginner type person. And that's what I consider or call a very, very low value type training protocol, right? So they need to find a coach like yourself and have you prescribe what they need to do to get the, be the best return on their time investment, that 30 minutes or 40 minutes that they're doing two or three times a week so they can get a better return. Right. Um, let's talk about um, different types of swims. Um, we're, we are sort of highlighting technique here, but um, when, do you think that, um, so like a strength-based swim with bands and paddles, are beginners ready for that kind of equipment? Uh, no for paddles, that's for sure a thing. Uh, paddles are for, from this coach's perspective or for athletes like yourself and and me that have, we have competitive swim backgrounds. Those that have fairly decent mechanics, all paddles tend to do is accentuate your flaws. Whatever they are, they'll, they'll make them worse. Uh, and one of the biggest flaws in swimming, beneath the surface of the water at least, there are two or three key flaws 
beneath the surface, but one of them is a, um, uh, a dropped elbow where the elbow sits beneath mm -hmm. the wrist and the person pulls using mainly their shoulders, right? As you know, an elevated elbow engages the lat muscles, lats mm -hmm. and pecs and so on. So that person with paddles, all they're really doing is de-emphasizing their lats even further and all into more shoulders, higher risk of injury and so on. So it's a no for sure with paddles uh, for beginning folks. Bands are super helpful because that'll lock up the ankles, providing it's done with a pull buoy to help float their feet up because they could work on good alignment. That is keeping the body in a nice straight line. So there are certain tools that are very helpful, equipment items that are super helpful for beginners. And I would say that that would be uh, a pull buoy, uh, 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 what do you call it, an ankle strap or a, um, mm -hmm. you know, something to harness your, your ankles together, uh, fins. Right and a snorkel. Probably one of single-handedly one of the most important tools, a swim snorkel. Those are the only four pieces of equipment that I would have a beginner purchase uh, and probably paddles would never make their list. I, I'm curious, this is really more for uh, my own curiosity more than me looking for you to call out a, a brand or a style, but I, um, I use snorkel, I know its value. I, I can't say that I love my experience in the water with the snorkel. So I'm wondering if there's a particular style that you favor um, with snorkels. I, I think most of the manufacturers now have sort of caught up in quality. In the beginning, it was challenging, and maybe you haven't. I don't know if you've used snorkels lately, but they went through a few years. I thought that the quality was uh, not so great. So just go with your main manufacturers. I'm sure Finice probably makes a very good snorkel. Mm -hmm. um, Aquasphere, I believe, uh, I think that's the name, perhaps makes a good snorkel. Um, so your, your major brands would have their good snorkels now. And what is a good snorkel? Let's define it. Something that has a fixed piece across the mount mm -hmm. that's going to hold the snorkel in place so the snorkel is not waddling around, which is uh, what happens typically with sort of snorkels that you would use for snorkeling. Uh, right. That's definitely what you don't want to want. That's the one that comes up on the side. We want a, a head mounted snorkel yeah. that comes directly at the center, mm -hmm. of the center of the head. So the quality is much better. So I would, um, I don't have any real preference of brand. While we're on the subject, um, I'm also curious, do you think that people should teach themselves to be comfortable exhaling through their nose without a clip when they're using a snorkel? So ultimately, just like when we ride and run, you exhale through your mouth, right? So in swimming, it's the, it's the main place of expulsion of air is through the mouth. There's a little bit of expulsion through the nose because you don't want water to go up into your nose. So there's sort of mm -hmm. this gentle pressure that swimmers like yourself may not have ever thought about what we do. It's just became natural because you learn to swim, like you said, at five or six years old. Mm -hmm. But the, we always have this gentle pressure that we we actually blow out slightly, not enough for bubbles to come out of our nose, but just enough so water doesn't go up your nose. But generally, mm -hmm. it's all expulsion through the mouth. Inhale through the mouth, expel through the mouth. Mm -hmm. And um, with this, this is a great segue into breathing, because this is one of my questions I had listed was about breathing um, rate, breathing pattern. Is there benefit to training with a specific, you know, training your lungs with a specific pattern, but then knowing in racing, we need to carry that into more oxygen and, and breathe more frequently. I tend to try to simplify things with this question. Um, 
and I come back to what we do, and it may sound silly, but I come back to what we do on riding and running. We don't hold our breath when we run, and we don't hold our breath when we ride. It's not a tool uh, that we use to to try to improve any type of aerobic performance. So I'm not sure why we would do it in swimming. <laughs> you and I grew up doing it in swimming because our events were short. The yeah. 50 freestyle, the 50 butterfly. And the reason I'm not mm -hmm. saying breaststroke or backstroke because that's a completely different mm -hmm. knee demand regarding breathing. Right. But uh, freestyle and butterfly, if you're swimming a 50, you're not going to breathe, especially the men right. breathe zero to one time. The women breathe one to two times in a 50 freestyle. So they need to learn how to hold their breath and all the specific types of training that they need. But we're talking about, since it's an Ironman, an hour to a two-hour swim. So what you need are just a, a constant flow of inhaling and exhaling, which is typically every two strokes. So if you're a right-sided breather, every time your right arm comes around, you'll breathe through your right side. If you're a left-sided breather, every time your left arm comes over, you breathe through your left side. Mm -hmm. So it's every two. That's yeah. it. That, and, that's all you, all, and that's all you need to train it also. Now, there's a, mm -hmm. a point to be made that maybe you need to learn to breathe on the other side, your non-comfort side for open water, because you could be uh, at an event where there's uh, excess wind or chop towards your breathing side. So having that skill of being able to breathe to the other side is helpful. But as far as the pattern, the question you asked, every two strokes, I don't see any need yeah. to learn to breathe or hold your breath any more than every two strokes. Plus, typically, when folks hold their breaths longer than every two strokes, I, I, I bear with my nuance, I call it stuff happens. And that stuff is usually <laughs> not good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Technical flaws get introduced when, when, when beginners hold their breath. Mm -hmm. So we don't want the technical flaws. So let's not do stuff that's going to create. Problems. I'm all about it. I'm all about the oxygen. Give me all the air. Um, yeah, it's, it's not fun to hold your breath. <laughs> and, and the typical, and, and it's actually a normal thing you'd see with most beginners. They would swim upwards of a half a dozen swim strokes. A swim stroke is mm -hmm. one single arm. One, the, the left mm -hmm. arm would be two, the right arm three, the left arm four. They would swim about six strokes. Sometimes you'd see eight, and then they take that big breath, and then they go another six. So exactly that big, huge inhalation, and that causes a problem because they. Mm -hmm. So you go through eight strokes of six to eight strokes of swimming. You're completely out of air. So when mm -hmm. you turn, it's a big, big turn. It's even a head lift, and then mm -hmm. there's a head turn, mm -hmm. and that whole thing. Then you. They get onto their side more, so they roll up more onto the side. So all of these technical problems start occurring. So one domino, the main domino, which was too little breathing, creates a problem because it hits other dominoes. Uh, those dom bad dominoes, I call those, head lifting, rotating too much to the side. All sorts of bad stuff starts happening. So let's not, let's not have that happen. Breathe every two strokes. Right. Enjoy oxygen. And, and here you've brought up again um, – and I'm glad it came up again that um, Ironman triathlon is aerobic sport and most swimming events are two to four minutes. And so the training is very different. And that's why, again, emphasizing the very first thing you said, it is a different style of swimming. And so unless there is a reason, you know, unless you have a deficiency in your hands, you cannot, you know, perform the same you, there's no reason to have an extra strong kick um, because it does require so much more of your cardiovascular system to pump um, that oxygenated blood to your legs. And so it's going to make your heart rate higher. 
uh, it's going to even change the energy system that you're using then, um, which could impact the rest of your day in an Ironman. Well, so that's one very good reason. The, uh, a super significant reason would be most non-swimmers. So let's put this now into almost everybody doing a triathlon that uh, didn't have a swing background. Kicking is their weakest link. Um, they don't have the ankle flexibility, uh, especially if they had any sort of background in any land sport, such as running, playing tennis, doing anything else, football, whatever it may be. Uh, other than um, athletes that were dancers, uh, dancers would tend to have uh, super mobile ankles. But generally, as you've experienced, most athletes have inflexible ankles, therefore their kicking's mm -hmm. not gonna be very good. And there's also a technical aspect to kicking correctly also. So they're not gonna, technically, they're not doing correctly. And they're also not able to do it as correctly because of inflexible ankles. So kicking and kicking also doesn't give much propulsion at the super elite level, the Michael mm -hmm. Phelps level, they're getting 15 or 20% propulsion. For the triathlete, maybe 2%, maybe. And then if they kick too much, it's negative. It, it goes to zero or minus. It's, it's, it's deterring velocity. So <laughs> let's not do something again that's going to have a problem where stuff happens. We just don't want stuff ever happening because the stuff's never good stuff. Right. Um, I, I, just, I remember, like, it, when, and when you see the difference in somebody swimming on top of the water, with just their feet or just barely moving. Like, how are they moving so fast? Like, I, I need to know, I want to know, I will do anything to, to develop that swim technique because you see how graceful and effortless it is. Well, that's the violin player, right? How, how, how can somebody make the violin sound so beautiful? And if I picked it up, it would, I mean, gosh, you couldn't run further away from wanting to listen to the sound that I would make on a violin. Well, that's because that person spent a long time hundreds, thousands of hours practicing how to make that beautiful, that instrument sound uh, beautiful. Uh, mm -hmm. That swimmer has spent hundreds to thousands of hours perfecting his and her mechanics. We're not gonna get there in, in just a few days or a few weeks or a few months. It'll take yeah. a few years for that to, to occur. So there's the technical side of it uh, that you have to learn. There's also this uh, patience. Uh, any parent knows if you have children, patience is something uh, mm -hmm. that you keep close to you in sport. And, um, you know, frequency of repetition. Yes, Consistency. frequency. Yeah, we, we teach frequency a lot here. Jerry, I'd like for you to um, share more about Tower 26. Um, tell us about your programs and how uh, I'm going to link to your programs in the show notes on Spotify and on YouTube. But tell us about them. So we run a comprehensive swimming and triathlon program where we, um, our audience mainly, uh, you know, we've done enough surveys on it. Uh, about 5% of our audience are the super pointy folks that are super really fast that win races and so on. A few pros and elite athletes. And um, uh, we have about, after that, it's about 20%-ish that are what I would call uh, pretty good athletes. Uh, they've been in the sport for several years, and then 75% of our audience are, let's call them beginners, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's our sort of base that we attract. And um, swimming is the weak link, so that's the most uh, folks that we coach, close to 1,000 people every month, uh, whether they're on our monthly, quarterly, or yearly annual program. 
Uh, and then, so that's the, so we have a location-based program that does swimming. We have a remote platform that I believe you were on for a while that, mm -hmm. uh, where we export workouts with, uh, technical audio files and, uh, uh swimming videos. So there's the how-to that we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast. Here, here's the how-to for the triathlete, the beginner in mm -hmm. particular. Uh, so that's another product that we have. And then we have a full triathlon service product where we have coaches that coach, uh, one-on-one -on -one. so you hire them on a monthly basis uh, to prepare for your race and with that comes your swimming workouts your biking workouts your running workouts and then we have this wonderful thing that we started a few years ago thanks to the pandemic where we run about um i think we offer close to let's think 12 or 13 workouts a month three one two three four five. Oh gosh no it's 20 something workouts a month uh on zwift uh and it's a Swift workout. You have to be on Swift to do it. It's coached by uh, one of our coaches or several of our coaches. Mm -hmm. So you would log in and you do the workout, but it's also on Zoom where you get the technical analysis done during the workout. So that's a special fee for that. But there's a coach there and they would see you riding and they'd give you instruction uh, during the session in conjunction with yeah. just doing a workout. So it's a, it's a full service triathlon coaching operation, similar to what you guys do, mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah. but we don't do the bike fit bike fit segment like you have. Right. And, and so many people value, um, the tower 26, you know, online swim program, especially. And I, I did that program, like I said, um, in 2017, as I was preparing for Ironman world championship and as, as a coach and as an athlete, I gained a lot of perspective on my own stroke just by following the program. Um, your drills in particular really are helpful with identifying, I think for an experienced swimmer, you know, to be able to, to perform a drill and not do it well, say, well, if I can't do this well, there's something not working. And, and right. so I, I loved how technical a lot of the swims were. Well, we break it down, especially, uh, at certain times of the year into very technical pieces because that's the platform uh, upon which you know, everything's built and, um, and we try to simplify it. We need to be able to talk in a language that's understandable for an absolute beginner and the drills or exercises that we would give, you would not find drills that you did from Richard Quick as an example, since you mentioned mm -hmm. him as a coach and from David Marsh, you would not find those drills in our program because those drills are advanced drills for you. You, you have, you know, a dozen years or more of competitive swimming experience. So, we wouldn't execute or even ask or demand our athletes to do those drills, which I've seen triathletes doing at the pool, following the drills the coaches have given them. And there's no point in doing those drills because one, they can't do them correctly. And then there's nobody supervising them. So there's not a feedback system for them. So drills need to be appropriately dosed, uh, you know, the quantity of drills and more importantly, the type of drill. Yeah, a little more advanced, but yeah, the, the value of constantly learning, like you said, frequency and, and always improving. Um, Jerry, is there anything else you'd like to add before we end our episode today? Well, you know, for beginners in particular, um, swimming is a, um, it's one of those things where most folks, from my experience, I remember going to the, my first triathlon, I think it was 1982 or 83, and I could just look into people's faces or I looked into their faces and all I could see was from the swimmers standing at the start line, they're just rearing, ready to go. And all the non-swimmers were, it was that look of dread 
and uh, I just got to get to my bike. I just got to get through this swim. It was just this awful look and just this. So that's not the experience that we should have or should, mm -hmm. you know, sort of give into on event day. So do yourself a favor and, and um, make the experience good. Uh, and you mentioned it earlier, Heather, and that is uh, put in the time, a couple times, two or three times a week over the duration of your preparation, three, four, five, six months. If it's an Ironman, it needs to be much longer in preparation, obviously. And get yourself, make swim your, um, you know, make it your friend. Make it something that you look mm -hmm. forward to doing. Because there's a high benefit uh, with uh, good technical swimming and being super fit. How would that car carries across to your biking and running? Yeah, there's a lot of solace in swimming. And, and when people reach that point, um, it, it becomes part of their life. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I look forward to the next time we can talk. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You're welcome.